call Pastor Shade along. <laughs> I cannot go alone with you. At least when they see that we are many, maybe it will enhance. Uh-huh. You know, so maybe they will call a few of the other leaders along. They will form a small delegation to come and beg. And then when you get there, you just immediately you prostrate. You don't even say anything. So it's Pastor Paul that will now start packaging you for mercy. <laughs> you know, that's that's the way that's the way many of us. We we, we don't see that. God didn't need all that before he gave Jesus. You see, for many of us, all that prostrating coming with a delegation, we are using it to show that person that, "Ah, whatever it was I did, I'm really sorry. I've changed. I won't do that again. God did not ask us, hmm, If I give my son, you know, God gave Jesus knowing that many people will reject the offer. Can you imagine that level of sacrifice? You know, the Bible says, for scarcely for a good man, but God died for bad people. So that's the level to which he is ready to give. So, it's very important for us to be balanced in this, um, in this appraisal of the two sides of our relationship. Because when we are too much to an extreme on either one, then there will be problems. When we think of ourselves too much as sons, our inclination to serve will be very low. We'll be just like spoiled children. And when we think of ourselves too much as servants, we will not even enjoy our relationship with God because we'll always be trying to do something to earn whatever it is we want to get from him. I'll say one last thing about this issue of balance, and then we'll go on. You know, assuming, let's assume I was a math teacher, and then I start, maybe October comes, Students resume for school, and then I'm a math teacher. I'm giving an SS1 class to teach. And then what's a topic that they learn in SS1 in mathematics? Set theory. Hmm. I think simultaneous equations is JS3. Yeah, set theory is a good one. So I walk into that class, and I say, well, my name is Jide Lawal. I'm here to teach you set theory. And then I spend the rest of that week teaching them set theory. You know, by the end of the week, some would have grasped it. Some will still be struggling with it. Those that are struggling with it will say, ah, mathematics is hard. Those that have understood it will say, ah, it's simple now. You get what I'm saying? Then the next week, I go back there. I teach them again, set theory. The third week, set theory. After a month, even the very dull students in that class would have understood it. Do we get what I'm saying? And then everybody, even those that were saying mathematics is very hard, now they're all smiling. Ah, I understand it. Now, suppose I were to continue all the way to December, set theory. Then I teach set theory for one year, two years, three years. They go for their 
O-level math. What will happen? No, see, what I'm saying is, at the end of three years, they would have understood set theory very well. What will their results be like? (laughs) I don't understand that one. You see, what I'm trying to get at is this. Many Christians, let me even say many churches, their, their understanding of Christianity is warped. Not because they believe wrong doctrine, but because there is too much emphasis on just one thing over and over and over again. So some people, you know, these are students that we are talking about. It will come to a time when you say mathematics. They will hear the word mathematics, but what they are really hearing is set theory. When you say mathematics is easy, mathematics is hard, what they are hearing is set theory is easy, set theory is hard. For many Christians, when you talk about Christianity, what they are really hearing is holiness. Because that is all that they talk about in their church. For some Christians, when you say Christianity, all they are hearing is walking in love. Do we get my point? And we're not saying that all these things are bad. We're saying that when you focus on them to the exclusion of everything else that Christianity is about, you may not come up with believers who are mature and are ready to face life. Because life doesn't ask you, what are they teaching in your church before bringing, before bringing the wahala your way? You know, church, life does not ask you that. Are they teaching very well about marriage in your church before you will be faced with marital challenges? Life will not ask you, what is your pastor teaching about receiving healing and working in health before sicknesses will come? Do you get my point? Yes. So it's very, very important, this issue of balance. And specifically, we are paying attention to this issue of you are both a son and a servant of God. Let's move on from there. The second thing we want to talk about, we want to look look at... um, We want to look at the concept of leadership from what we call the leadership movement. How many people know the leadership movement? You know what I'm talking about when I say the leadership movement? You probably do. You just don't know that that's what I'm talking about. Well, at this point, I usually have to do something that we don't like to do when training, which is to mention preachers' names, that sort of thing. But I'm talking about, you know, typically someone like John Maxwell, you know, and his books. What are some of the things they typically say from the leadership movement? Yes, sir. Have you heard that one before? The law of the lead. Yes, everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, the leadership movement has been a blessing to the body of Christ. They've helped people that maybe were not very good leaders to become good leaders. They've helped people that were 
good leaders to become great leaders. So I would never knock them or say that they haven't added value. But you see this particular, um, this particular sentence that Pastor Paul just mentioned is something we want to look at as, you know, we said we're going to consider three things that are foundational to being able to answer that question, what is supportive ministry? The second one is this issue of leadership, or specifically this issue of everything rising and falling on leadership. I believed that for many years. I even taught it for many years. I explained it for many years. But you see, just like we're talking about when we're talking about balance, a truth that is taken too far becomes counterproductive. I would qualify everything rises and falls on leadership. I would qualify it by adding the expression most of the time. Not all the time. Um, Revelation, I think it's Revelation 13, verse 9. I hope I'm not wrong. Bible tells us about one third of the stars falling from heaven. Do you remember that place? Yes, Bible scholars tell us that it actually refers to angelic conflict in which one-third of the angels in heaven rebelled against God. Let me ask you, where did God fail in his leadership that caused as much as one-third of the angels to rebel? Do you understand my question? Yes, if everything rises and falls on leadership, then that's a fair question. Where did God get it wrong? Or maybe that's a little too esoteric for us this morning. Let's try another one. What was the mistake that Jesus made that caused Judas to betray him and Peter to deny him? Can anyone tell us, where did Jesus get it wrong? Remember the Bible tells us in, um, is it Mark 3 or Mark 4, that he prayed all night before he chose the 12. <laughs> so, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you prayed all night, and then you came up with a list of 12 people, and Judas was one of them. Where did Jesus get it wrong? You see, the truth is this. No matter how great you are as a leader, people will still be people. People will still be people. And they have a right to be. People are just people. If you're a student of economics, you know, they will tell you that this is how people would normally behave if they were being rational. But that's a big if. People are not always rational. They will tell you when supply goes up, you know, um, the price would fall. But there are some things in Nigeria that it looks like the more you have, the price is not subject to any rational explanation. Do we get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes, because people are people. Now, of course, if you have a large enough population, 
typically enough people in that population would be rational. But you can never, there are no principles that you can say applies to every individual. Do we get what I'm saying? Sometimes, now, I said, now, I'm not saying this so that, don't, when they ask you, what did you learn in that training? Don't say, ah, they said everything does not rise and fall on leadership. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. That expression, everything rises and falls on leadership, what it means is, if, if an organization is doing well, it is because you have good leadership. And if the organization is not doing well, it is because the leadership is not so good. That's what it means. And many times that is true. In fact, I would say most of the time that is true. But that most of the time is definitely not all of the time. There are some times the leader is doing his best, the leader is doing her best, but... You know, the more he's saying this is the vision for this church, the more there are some people saying, you see this vision, we are not going to achieve it. And they are as serious as the leader is serious. The same way the leader believes that this is what God has sent me to do, that's the same way they believe that somebody has sent me to oppose this vision. And they too, they are pushing strongly. Do we, do we see what I'm saying? Yes. So sometimes, it, it, you, you know, I like to also put it this way. Man is the sole dynamic in ministry. What do I mean by that? If you see a church that is doing well, and let's assume you have the right parameters to be able to judge which church is doing well and which one is not. But if you see a church that is doing well, it's not because... God is a great and mighty God in that church. And the devil is a very weak devil in that church. There is something that the people in that church know and they are doing that is making things to work. Now, I'm not saying this to exalt them above measure. I mean, Philippians 2 says... For it is 2.13, it says, For it is God that walketh in you, both to will and to do of his, own, of his own good pleasure. So even when men are getting it right, we know it is because God is inspiring them to get it right. When we move to a church or a ministry that is not doing well, man is still the sole dynamic in ministry. It's not like in that ministry, God is very weak and the devil is very powerful. It's because there's something that the people in that ministry, they are supposed to know which they have not yet known or which they are not working in. Do you see what I mean? Yes. So when we are saying everything rises and falls on leadership, let us know that those who are meant to follow, uh, they also have a part to play. I'll say this, and then, um, or maybe I'm supposed to say it later in the course, I'm not sure, but let me just say it once and for all now. You see, because, because I'm a part of Rema Bible Training Center, many times I have people walk up to me, especially P1 
people who are much younger in ministry, people who are just starting out in ministry, they would come out and say, um, I want to start a work, I want to start a church, I want to do this, I want to do that. You know, they would come and they would want to have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with me. And I've seen this many times. Sometimes a young man would come and say, um, I want to start a church. I say, oh, praise God for that. That's um, very good. And then just along the lines of having the conversation, I'll ask, have you thought about this? And the man will say, yes, ah, hey, I was, that area of ministry, I was in charge of it when I was in, um, when I was in fellowship of Christian students as a young man. I say, okay, what about this other area? Ah, when I was in university, I was the HOD of that unit. Okay? Um, what about this area? When I went to serve, they put me in charge of that in Nigerian Christian Corpus Fellowship. What about this area? Ah, so I'm not really good in that area, but I've heard of a course where you can go for the training. I'm going for that training in two weeks' time. What about this other area? Um, that one, there are some books I'm going to buy that focus on that. That's the way some talk. Whereas some others, when you discuss with them, say, um, are you good in this area? Um, I have a good, I think I know it well, but my wife is going to be in charge of that. Okay, what about this other area? Ah, there's this brother who we've even started praying towards the launch of this ministry. He's going to be in charge of that area. Mm. What about this one? Ah, uh, you, you are talking about children's church. We have someone that is fantastic with children's church. She's also starting with us. What about this area? Um, we don't really know that area well, so all of us are going for training. You know, people that talk the second way, I've noticed the ministry always does better than the first one. Do you get what I'm saying? The ministry always does much better let me put it this way. Sometimes you have a very charismatic pastor. He has a big church. Sometimes you have a very charismatic pastor. When I say charismatic now, he can preach well. He inspires confidence. He's not struggling to express himself when he's preaching. Very charismatic, you know, presents whatever he's teaching very well. Sometimes you see them, they have very big churches. Sometimes you'll see them, they have very small churches. And sometimes you have those preachers, the type that they very easily send you to sleep. Some of them, they have very big churches. Some of them, they have very small churches. What am I trying to say? Many times there's no relationship between the charisma of the leader and the size of the work. Many times, how you judge where this ministry is going is the quality of the team. Do you get my point? That charismatic pastor with a very big church, many times he has a great team. And that boring preacher with a very big church, go and check, he has a great team. Well, let's move on from this, um, this issue of leadership and everything um, rising and falling on it. 
The third um, thing we want to talk about is the concept of loneliness in leadership. Loneliness in leadership. You know, one thing that people typically discover about leadership only after they have become leaders is the concept of loneliness. And when we talk about loneliness in leadership, people tend not to understand it because as Africans, the concept of a lonely leader is, it makes no sense to us. You know, the bigger you are as a leader, the bigger your entourage is. Have you realized that? Yes. The bigger you are as a leader, the bigger your entourage is. But most leaders, they come to see that I can't be deceived by this entourage. I can't. Because when the chips are down, the people that you can really share the burdens of leadership with are not many, most times. Most people are ready to serve. Most people are ready to be committed to a certain extent. Anything that goes beyond that extent, count me out. Let's use an illustration here. You know that in many churches, when you see the way, when you see the way people behave in the church, you may come to the conclusion that it's a sin for the pastor to carry their Bible by themselves. Have you ever noticed that? Yes. So, pastor is just arriving in church, minding his business, maybe he's praying in tongues under his breath, carries his Bible from the car. There will be one young man that will see him from afar off and rush to snatch the Bible. You know, someone still did it to me this morning. They just quickly collected. I've learned, don't struggle with them. Just let it go. And believe God that they will give it back to you. <laughs> so I've, I've learned that one. It was, it was a bit difficult for me to learn, but I know it now. But you see, <laughs> in some churches, it's even like a competition. You know? you know? They know the time pastor is going to arrive, so they are using style too because the, there's this young man that there are like three of them that are always struggling to be the one to carry the Bible for him. Now, look at this. Suppose we're to come to church one Sunday and we don't see Pastor Paul in this church. And then Pastor Shade collects the mic and preaches. Ah, I didn't know Pastor was not going to be in church. Maybe he had an invitation to go and preach somewhere else. And then just as we're rounding up, Pastor Shade says, well, let me just tell, give you an update about Pastor Paul. Um, in the middle of the night, he received a vision. And God told him to go and continue his ministry in Sambisa Forest. <laughs> now, he has gone. We are going to look for how we can be supporting him. Please be mindful of him in your prayers. Question, those boys that are always struggling to carry his Bible... How many of them will say, uh, Pastor Shade, give me transport money. I want to go and continue helping Pastor in Sambisa Forest. 
Do we understand the question? Yes. You see, there are situations as a leader where you think you have so many followers. Then you realize that sometimes some of those followers are just with you because it's convenient. Are just with you because, well, you know, for some people, if Pastor Shade truly came and said, oh, he's now in Sambisa Forest, they may go home feeling sad. Ah, Pastor Paul, and he was a good man, oh. Notice was. You know, they will get home and say, ah, what's wrong with you? Ah, it's my former pastor. My, my former pastor. You see, just because he has moved to Zambisa Forest now, he's no longer your pastor. He's now former pastor. That's the way people are quick to move on. Whenever it looks like, ah, what's happening in this man's life? Ah, okay. You'll be surprised. Meanwhile, just a week ago, it looked like those same people were telling you the same way Peter was telling Jesus. You know, Peter looked at all the other disciples and said, <laughs> me, I never trusted all these ones. So. And I'm telling you now, you can't trust it. But you see me, I'm ready to die with you. That's what Peter said. And Jesus said, hmm, are you sure about this thing? You see, the concept of loneliness in leadership, you, you see it all over the scriptures. Moses was lonely. Elijah was lonely. Now, those ones, is really because they tended to do everything by themselves. They tended to be the sort of people that didn't delegate and all that, you know. So, but it's still true that they were lonely. Look at the ministry of Jesus. In John 6, Jesus had multitudes following him, you know. Imagine the Bible saying that, Imagine the Bible saying that Jesus fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, sorry. That for, you know, for, it's not like it was only men that were following him. There were women and children following him, but they weren't, nobody bothered to count the women. They just counted the men. Now, if you have a crowd of 5,000 men, what do you estimate the total crowd will be by the time you add the women and children? It could be as much as 20,000, definitely not less than 12. Imagine that number of people following Jesus. And then a time came, Jesus said, ah, if you are going to be my disciples, you must drink my blood and eat my flesh. And then by the time he looked back, there were only 12 people still following him. And he said, are you going to go also? Peter said, where are we going again? You have the words of eternal life. You know, Jesus could have been deceived. Think, ah, even if this crowd of 20,000, if they were not, if they are not faithful, if, they are, if I can't rely on them, at least I can rely on these 12. But at the end of the day, he couldn't rely even on the twelve. In the garden of Gethsemane, he took three of them for prayer meeting. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Bible said he sweated as it were great drops of blood. Imagine you are going through a crisis in your life. You know, there's a way people will come and say, oh, we are praying for you, we are praying for you. And sometimes I think it's because I can't see, I don't know your sleep pattern. That's why you are deceiving me like this. 
Jesus carried this food to the garden of Gethsemane. He came back to meet them sleeping. He said, what? Could you not watch with me even for one hour? Those were the kind of followers that Jesus had. So that's what we mean by loneliness and leadership. When he had that burden of prayer, there was nobody he could roll it on. He couldn't depend on them. Or look at Paul, Acts 19. That's a verse we quote so much. Acts 19 and verse 20, so mightily grew the word and it prevailed. Why did the word, why was the word described as growing mightily and prevailing? Because Paul went to Ephesus and he had the school hall of one Tyrannos where he preached daily for the space of two years. Imagine a preacher like Paul preaching for two years. And Bible says that all those that were in Asia Minor, they heard the word of God. Why? Because Paul was preaching in that school hall. So Paul would preach. People would hear him. They would go and call their friends until that whole area, they had all heard the word of God. Imagine that. Imagine the crowds that must have been there to listen to him. Paul came to the end of his life and ministry, 2 Timothy 4. Said, these know that all they that be in Asia have abandoned me. That was Paul. I like to encourage pastors by saying, if they did it to Jesus and they did it to Paul, they will do it to you too. It happens. Paul had to write to Timothy and he told him, do thy diligence to come to me quickly. In fact, for Timothy to know how grave the situation is, he said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed to Thessalonica. Let me point out something to you. <laughs> it's not the time that Demas departed, that Demas started loving the world. I hope you know that. Yes. There is nothing about leaving Paul that causes a man to begin to love the world. It is the love that Demas had had for the world. Which love was still being catered to when Paul's ministry was doing well. But now that Paul is in prison... You know, sometimes in ministry, people will come and meet you and say, ah, sir, I've come to submit to you, sir. It's because that ministry is doing well. It's because there's something they see in that ministry that they want to see in their own. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's crowd. Sometimes it's clout. Ah, everywhere, people are just inviting him. So you see some younger boys, they'll come and say, ah, I've come to, God said I should come and serve with you. And then you will know the true measure of their devotion when there is a problem in that ministry. With Paul, what was the problem? He had been arrested and thrown in jail. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. That's Paul of Tarsus. That's the man who wrote half the books in the New Testament. Suffered loneliness and leadership. 
But you see, where Jesus had no one he could rely on, at least Paul could send for Timothy. You know, if you see what he wrote to the Philippians, that is such a wonderful endorsement of that young man, Timothy. He told the Philippians, you know the proof of him that as a son with a father, he has fully served with me in the gospel. That was Paul's testimony. Of, he said, I trust to send to you Timothy shortly that he may know your state. You know, he told, <laughs> Paul told, Paul told the Philippians, he said, all men care about their own things and not the things of Jesus Christ. The ministry is where I've seen some of the most selfish people I have had the privilege of coming across. And Paul said it too. He said they care about their own things and not the things that are of Jesus Christ. But he said Timothy is different. You know, the purpose of this training is for us to have those who are different. Those who are not like Demas. Those who are not like Peter and Judas were. But those who will be like Timothy. Those that Pastor Paul and Pastor Shade will be able to say, well, I may not be able to rely on everybody, but at least I know I can rely on this one, this one, this one, maybe just a few. But really, there's nothing that stops all of us from being the kind of reliable people that the leaders in this church can depend on. There's nothing that stops us from being our best at serving in this church. Let me say something and then we'll take the break. You know, sometimes you have people who come to church with the attitude, ah, I didn't come to this church to join workers. I just came to serve my God. Have you heard that expression before? Yeah. Yes. I know people say, oh, what church do you attend? They'll mention the name of the church. Then you ask them, okay, where do you serve? Which area? Which unit? Which department in the church? Ah, I didn't, me, I don't join workers. Oh. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think, I don't believe in it. I'm not condemning those that do it all, oh, but me, I don't, I'm just there to serve my God, that's all. And they are very serious. They are saying it with a straight face. You see, the truth is this. There are some things that we talk about with respect to God that the only way in which it can be meaningful is if you can relate it to people. A man cannot say, I love God without loving people. A man cannot say, I give to God without giving to people. I like to ask this question. Can you bring out a thousand naira note and say, God, this is an offering to you. Take it. It doesn't happen that way. You know, some people wish, ah, I wish that's the way to give to God. Because, you know, the money will always stay in your hand. God will not reach out if you look and you don't see the money again. It's not God that took it. 
if you any money you say you give to God, let me show, let me promise you, at the end of the day, is human beings that will spend it. How do we give to God? We give to God by giving to people. You can give to the church, you can give to your pastor, you can give to your parents, you can support your family, you can give to the poor. These are all different things the Bible speaks about. But at the end of the day, we give to God by giving to people for God's sake. In the same way, the only way to serve God is by serving people. Anything you are doing that is not an act of service to people, ultimately, you are not serving God. Do we see my point? Yes. What can I do that I will do directly for God and say it's an act of service? Everything I do along the lines of serving God must benefit humanity at the end of the day. Let's take a break. Do we, is it a five-minute break or a